You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. This week, we are continuing our study on the life of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. Grab your Bible and get ready to dive into God's Word together. Hey, Harvest. Good morning. Man, I'm so glad to be with you this morning uh, as we uh, not only wrap up our series, but uh, go through this pivotal passage of uh, this transition from Elijah to Elisha. If you're joining us today online, welcome, and we're so glad that you're here with us today. Growing up, I had a dog, and his name was Benji. Benji was a cool dog, but he was out of control a little bit. And I think it was because we always kept Benji on a leash So whenever he saw an opportunity to take a break, he took it. And so one day he took a break and unfortunately got hit by a car. But my parents quickly got us another dog. And guess what his name was? Of course, Benji. This dog was just as reckless as the last. No self-control whatsoever. This dog, my, my sister took this dog on a walk and... Uh, the dog was actually walking her, dragging her down the street, and ultimately he ended up breaking his leg. And so I just remember one day waking up, and Benji number two is no longer there, and I'm like, Mom, Dad, where's Benji? They're like, ah, he got hit by a car. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I just know that Benji was no longer around. (laughs) After all of that turmoil and damage in my life when it comes to animals, I made a vow that when I moved out of my parents' house that I would get my own dog and I would train it and it was going to be the best dog in the world. So in order for this to happen, I did some research and found out which dogs are the easiest to train, okay? (laughs) And uh, Golden Retriever pops up. So I get this puppy golden retriever, and I'm like, I'm going to train this dog. I'm never going to put him on a leash. So could you imagine, like, me walking down the street with this little two-month-old golden retriever? I wish I could find a picture of him when he's a puppy and put it on the screen. Everyone would be like, oh, he was a cutie pie. But I trained him to always be by my side. So as he grew to an adult... And we would be, me and my wife, we would be out in public amongst large crowds. Cody was never on a leash. He was right there by my side, obeying his master until he got old and he got ill. Seeing him trying to do some of the same things that he was able to do before with arthritis in his rear legs, but pressing through just to greet me at the door when I come home at night, or uh, when we go for a walk, like, Cody, it's time to go for a walk, and it takes him a little longer to get up. It's almost like he was saying, hey, Ro, I'm okay, I can make it, I'm gonna be okay. One night, me and my wife uh, heard his attempt to make it upstairs to sleep in our bedroom, as he always did, and he, he didn't make it, but he would continue to try over and over again. It's a picture of faithfulness to the end. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. 
And that is the title of today's message, Faithful to the End. It is my hope today that as we go through the text, that we too can model out this picture of faithfulness in our own lives. When we started this series a little bit over a month ago, Pastor Jeff Bucknam led us in uh, teaching us that uh, the act of sending a prophet is an act of God's love for us. And then immediately, Elijah is catapulted into this battle with this evil king. And we see how God was with him in that. And this has been a common theme throughout this book each week. God is in control and God is with them. Harvest, do you believe that God is in control? Yeah, amen. Do you believe that God is with you? In the middle of chaos, though, it could be hard to be reminded that God is with us. And throughout this series, we've seen chaos. We've seen God prevail each time. And as we learned last week, when we were in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, uh, we learned that God sustains us. He speaks to us and he sends us. And from the point that we left last week and where we land today, even more chaos has happened. Ahab dies, leaving a legacy of uh, military strength behind, but moral weakness and tolerance for bad behavior. And then we see the fulfillment of Elijah's prophecy and uh, Ahab's family, their whole household is wiped out as a result of their father's sin. And then Judea seems very weak and silent. And then uh, Syria despises their southern neighbors, which indicates that there's gonna be more war soon. And when we arrive in the text today, we're at a pivotal, we're at a pivotal point where old characters are replaced and new dilemmas will arise. But in the midst of all of that, with so many unresolved spiritual problems still, God continues to work. It's important that the prophetic prophetic movement uh, stays intact during this time because without an ongoing opposition by God's chosen people to idolatry and oppression, the the nation of Israel would not survive. So as we open up 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has in store for us to learn today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us and encourages us. It's also a reminder that you are with us. Your word tells us that you will never leave us or forsake us. Your word also says that you are in our midst right now. And so God, We wanna feel your presence today. We want your words to be spoken to your people today. And so God, I pray that you will use me to do that. I pray that uh, as I decrease today, that you will increase. In Jesus' name, amen. The two main characters in this story are Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha, I'm gonna do my best to make those sound very different. 
in the Hebrew language, they are very different. In fact, Elijah in Hebrew is Eliehu. Eliehu. And Elisha is Elisha. But for the sake of everyone today, we'll be communicating this in English. We learned last week, John Kelly uh, just hinted to this last week uh, that God had called Elijah to anoint a new prophet to take his place. And we see that in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16. But then we see that played out here a little further in the text. When we get here to 1 Kings uh, 19, verses 19 through 21, and it says this, so he, he is Elijah, departed there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. 12 yoke of oxen. Some theologians say that that's symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, but that's a whole nother sermon for another day. 12 yoke of oxen. And we know that there are two oxen on each yoke. So there's actually 24 oxen here and in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah passed by and cast his cloak upon him. Cast means he tossed his cloak upon him. And Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again for what I have done for you? Elijah's like, man, dude, I'm giving you the offer of the century. I'm thinking here, Elisha had to know who Elijah was because of his reaction here. And Elijah is just perplexed, like, okay, you need to do that? Okay, I'm gonna let you do that. But look at what he does when he leaves Elijah. It says that he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and broiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen. This is plural here. He says that he returned from him, from following him, and he took the yoke of the oxen and sacrificed them, meaning he sacrificed all 24 of the oxen. That had to take some time. Would you say yes? Broil their flesh with the yokes. So he took the yokes. Yokes are uh, these wooden mechanisms that kept the cattle together and gave them more power to move forward. So since it's wood, he took the yokes and started the fire. The NIV version says that he took, he took the plow and threw that in there too. And so he, he's basically saying, I'm leaving everything that I have behind me and I'm gonna follow Elijah. And so he sacrificed the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he rose and went and followed and after Elijah and assisted him. Theologians also say that these sacrifices are symbolic of uh, him sacrificing these oxen for the sin of Israel. So in essence here, Elisha is saying, I'm willing to leave my livelihood behind. 
I'm willing to drop everything and follow Elijah. He says farewell to his family. Slaughters the oxen. This demonstrates a clear break between his old life and his new life. And it further demonstrates that ain't no going back, baby. We're all in. We're moving forward. Elijah seems to know that uh, he must make a single-minded approach to this. There's no like half in and half out. There's no, uh, Elijah, I need to take a break so I can get back to work and earn some money. No, it was a clean break. So after this, you'll notice in the subsequent chapters after uh, chapter 19, Elijah kind of goes into the background for the next four long chapters until we arrive here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And what we see here in verses 1 through 7 is Elijah and Elisha steadfastly resolved. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 7. It says, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. This is important. Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord sent me as far as Bethel. Let's remember Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know, but keep quiet. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Let's remember that. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and the 50 men of the sons of the prophets also stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. I want us to focus in on the significance of the areas that they went through here in the text. This trip from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan retraces the first movements Israel made as they entered into the promised land, but it reverse traces it here. The similarities bring attention to the succession of leadership from Moses to Joshua and the places Elijah, and places Elijah on par with Moses. It also serves as a reminder that every foot of the promised land belongs to God, and it is under God's authority, and it is under the authority of his word. Notice here, Elijah gives Elisha three opportunities to end the journey. Some theologians say, tried to uh, model this after P Peter's three denials of Jesus, but we don't know that for a fact, if there's any relevance to that. 
But we see here that he gives them three opportunities to just kick his feet up, right? He already knows that he's going to be taken over soon. So wouldn't it be easy for him to just kind of sit back and just wait for the Lord to take him up, take Elijah up to heaven? But still he said, I will never leave you. It also serves as a reminder of the victories that were won through God in these areas. Gilgal is significant because it was the first place that the Israelites camped after crossing the Jordan. It was the base camp of operations for the initial conquest of the Holy Land. And then you have Bethel, which was the first place in the Bible where the Hebrew people met with God in Genesis chapter 28. And it signifies the first beginnings of knowledge and understanding about God, heaven, and spiritual truth. And then we all know the granddaddy of them all, the battle of Jericho, where the people of Israel show faithfulness to God's instruction by marching around the walls of Jericho, these impenetrable walls. And then God made the walls come down. I see Elijah thinking here, man, this seems like he's taking me on a farewell tour, reflecting on the beginnings of the Israelites and how many battles the Lord had won for them and how God came through over and over again. When was the last time you reflected on what God has done for you? and the battles and the victories that he's won for you, or reflected on uh, how he's brought you through the storm. In my lifetime, I've been through many storms, and every time I'm here worshiping the Lord, I can't help but get emotional about what, for what he has done for me and continues to do for me. Each stop they took, Elijah was testing him to see if he would stop, but no, he didn't. He would not relent. I could imagine it was hot. They were walking miles. These were great distances between these cities. They're going through the hills and through the mountains high and the valleys low, but yet and still, Elisha remains steadfast. And on the hilltops, and in the valleys, they traveled. Elijah was saying, I am with you. I'm not going to leave your side. Are we the same? I know it's easy to follow the Lord when we are on the mountaintop, but when we're in the valley, where are we with that? When we're on the mountaintops, the views are great. But in the valley, you can't see what's coming next. And you're just like, what is happening here? I can't see beyond that mountain in front of me. I see them reflecting on these journeys through the ups and downs, the mountaintops and the valley lows. And as we do that as a people, it makes our worship more authentic. It makes our time with the Lord more memorable. 
I look at Elijah's response here, and uh, the other prophets are, are like, hey, man, you know what's going to happen, right? You're taking over. And Elijah is just, I love his response. He's like, shh, be quiet. My time has not come yet. This shows a heart of humility, but it also shows the heart of steadfastness to the position that he's currently in until God calls him to take over. He's not like, I know I'm gonna be in charge soon, so I got some plans. <laughs> There's some changes that need to be made around here. I'm gonna come in and save the day. Let me get started on my ministry plan and my agenda. There's a new sheriff in town. I've seen this in ministry <laughs> where a pastor is about to retire and the associate pastor is in line. He's already planning the agenda before this man who has served steadfastly and faithfully leaves his position. When we first start out on our spiritual journey, this is how we can relate to this story, this section. Dedicating our life to God and consciously working on becoming more spiritual and faithful, loving person. We may think that from now on, life is gonna be amazing. <laughs> that it's just gonna be a continuous upward path. But the reality is just as the terrain is of the Holy Land. And that is, there's both mountains and valleys in this walk. So the terrain that we travel in our spiritual path has its ups and downs. And, and look, some of the downs go way down. When everyday things in our life rear their ugly heads, causing us to fall away from our spiritual study and our focus on serving the Lord. And it begins to take up a great deal of time in our family time and being a, a, the best spouse that we could be and being the best parent that we can be. But as followers of Christ, man, God fights that battle for us. He says, cast your troubles on me. Why is that so hard for us sometimes? God fights our battles. And what we see here in the text in verses 8 through 11 is we see that Elisha is spiritually hungry. It says, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, I'm sorry, guys, that is the wrong verse. Sorry. Yes, we're here. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted from one side to the other, till the two of them could walk over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken. And Elijah said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, what you have asked is a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken up from you, 
it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and they talked, behold, chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. <laughs> Where are you, chariots of fire? Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated, the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven. Wow. What an amazing moment this had to be. Elijah and Elisha saw Elijah taking up. But as they were going through this little tour, you see there, I sense that Elijah was like, okay, there's a reason why Elisha came with me. And so he turns to him and asks him, what can I do for you? And he requests a double portion of the spirit Elijah possesses. This indicates that Elisha's understanding of Elijah, he's understanding that Elijah has a special relationship with God. So Elijah is saying, I want more of what you have, man. Give me more of that. When was the last time you asked God for more? More of his presence. Or better yet, do people see more of God in us? This idea of double portion is a Hebrew family tradition. When the father passes away, the older son receives a double portion, indicating that he was the successor of the father, and that he would receive double portion while the other siblings only received single. He wouldn't receive double what his father owned. Of course, that would be life insurance, and life insurance wasn't around during that time. But what he's asking for here is, he's saying, Elijah, I want to be your ministry successor. I want to continue what you have begun. That's the idea of double portion. Meaning, he would have a larger portion of Elijah's spirit more so than the other prophets. Elijah was a spiritual father of Israel, and now Elisha would be the same. Elijah says to Elijah, what you have asked of me is a hard thing. Yeah, it is hard, because only God can do this for him. So I, I believe that he's saying here, in, in other words, if you have the capacity to see beyond what is in front of you, and you can see the spiritual world that very much exists, if, you, if your eyes could see that, then your requests will be granted. I can imagine Elisha asked, thinking like, why are you asking me if I have eyes to see? I see you right now, I'm talking to you. And then all of a sudden, the chariots of fire separated the two, and Elijah lifts up, is lifted up, and is out of there in the whirlwind. And he saw it. And when Elisha saw the chariots of the army of the Lord, I'm sure wherever he was, 
from that day forward, he had the confidence that the army of the Lord was with him. God gave Elijah spiritual eyes to see. Elijah, his exit was just as spectacular as his life. And just as God rained down fire from heaven to prove that Yahweh was more powerful than Baal, and just as the fire from heaven protected them from a wicked king, so now a similar heavenly fire proves that Elijah was a prophet of excellence. It removes Elijah permanently from any further dangers and any further discouragement. And God gave Elijah the opportunity to see the spiritual world in real time. You and I don't have that kind of vision, but do you believe that it's there? I believe that right now, across all of our campuses, that there are angels of the army of the Lord fighting battles against darkness and evil. God's army is at work, Harvest. Can you believe that? I believe that if God granted us access to see all that is going on in the spiritual world around us, we would have radically different lives because we will be constantly reminded that we're not alone and that God is fighting our battles for us. Some of us just have bad spiritual vision. It's more or less like tunnel vision focused on specific things that are more of the world and not of God. Sometimes we focus on achievements and being better or having more instead of focusing on the spiritual battle that surrounds us and wanting to play a part in that. Elijah had eyes to see that. Do you? And because he saw, he is now securely confident to press on. And we see that here in the text in verses 12 through 14. I'm all of a sudden scared of this board, guys. <laughs> I'm intimidated right now. Me and the board used to be friends. It says this in verses 12 through 14. And Elijah saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and all of his horsemen, and he saw them no more. Then he took a hold of his clothes and he tore them in the pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen away from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen away from him, and he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water parted from one side into the other, and Elisha went over on dry ground. Come on. He goes from this hilltop moment where the armies of God are racing between him and Elijah, and then all of a sudden, silence. 
His mentor is no longer there. The reference to father, father here is the reference to his spiritual father, Elijah. He's grieving. He tears his clothes. He's not like, finally, the old guy's out of here. Now I can finally move forward with my plan. He's grieving because he had respect for the man used of God. Notice here in the story, remember we started in 1 Kings 19. It started with the cloak. It's ending with the cloak. And only the cloak remains here. Elijah takes it back to the Jordan. And he asks, where is Elijah's God? You were just here a minute ago. I felt your presence. It was amazing. I was encouraged. I was motivated. He's like, where is the God who caused the drought, who brought fire from the sky, who raised the dead, who just took my mentor to heaven? Where is he? You ever feel this way sometimes? Last Sunday, we had an amazing service, right? We witnessed the movement of God in this place last week. But then when the music stops, we go back out there. And we go back to our homes. And there's silence all of a sudden. Sometimes we go to a ministry conference and uh, we leave encouraged and ready to conquer the world because we've witnessed the movement of God. And then we go home and we turn on the TV and we see what's on the news again. And we begin to ask the question, Lord, where are you? I believe that Elijah is having a Moses, Lord, show me your glory moment here. You ever been in that place where you cry out to the Lord? I've been there, man. It takes authentically being at the end of yourself and saying, Lord, if you don't come through in this situation, I'm not going to make it. It is a humble surrender and cry out to the Lord of, Lord, I need you and I need you now. That's what Elijah did, and God responded. Notice God parted the Jordan, and Elisha walked across on dry land. But it doesn't stop there. The prophets, they were still there. The 50 prophets that had been with him the whole time, they saw Elisha go up, and they saw Elisha part the Jordan. So they're like, man, Without a doubt, this guy's doing the same thing that Elijah did. It's clear that Elijah's spirit is on Elisha. Check. Done. Let's get back to work now. Are we being a witness for Christ out 
in a dying world. Do people see the Holy Spirit on us? Like, do they see the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness, patience, self-control? Do they see that on us? Elijah was a good man who God used to do miraculous things. Elisha could do without Elijah, but he cannot do without God. And what we see after this in subsequent chapters is God continues to work through Elijah. There's an encounter in uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 6 where Elijah goes into this battle and they're outnumbered. And he looks up on the mountain edge and he sees the armies of the Lord. And he's like, let's go. We have the army of the Lord fighting on our side. And so we should be like, let's go. God works through his people. And that's what we see here. Uh, Elisha went up in a whirlwind at the same spot that Moses died. Moses spouted a successor, and his name was Joshua. And he walked across the Jordan on dry land in Joshua chapter 3 after succeeding Moses. Just like Elisha walked across on dry land after succeeding Elijah. Miracles end after the death of Joshua in this progression. And we see the connection from Moses and Joshua all the way through the Bible. And Elijah and Elisha are right here in the middle. So we see after the death of Joshua, you'll see in the Bible, until the coming of uh, Elijah, there's no more miracles. The miracles come when Elijah gets on the scene, and then they continue through Elisha. And then Elisha dies, and we see no more miracles again until John the Baptist comes making the way for a Messiah and baptized Jesus Christ in the Jordan. We see miracles again, obviously, through Jesus and the apostles. And Jesus went up. Do you have eyes to see that? Do we believe that? If we believe that, we should live radical lives for the Lord. Jesus passes his spirit not on one successor, but on the church. What a beautiful picture that is. God's plan from Moses all the way through to the end, to Jesus to everyone in this room who has professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This picture of faithfulness is a picture that every follower of Christ should be living out in their life. These Old Testament stories are examples of the power of God. We need to embrace this, right? We need to embrace that. 
Elijah was, Elijah was faithful to the end. And then he passed the torch to Elisha. They were steadfastly resolved. They were both spiritually hungry. And they were, and Elisha was securely confident. As, I, as our worship team comes forth, I want us to reflect on our experiences with God. I believe that during the time that we in right, we're in right now, we need to be doing more of that. Because if we focus on the things that we see around us, it could be very discouraging. Would you say yes? During times like this, a follower of Christ should be bold. We should be spending more time with Jesus. You know, we're instructed by Jesus to abide in him. I love what he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I want the power of God to not only be flowing through my spirit, but through my wife's spirit, through my daughter's spirit, through every spirit in this church right now through every person that is seated in every seat in this room, to every person that is watching online today. You have the power of the living God living on the inside of you. Let's never forget that. Do you have eyes to see that? God is fighting our battle. Man, I really hope that you guys have enjoyed this series. I have enjoyed this series. It, th this is what I call an on-time message series right here. Because the very same things that we see happening in First and Second Kings, we see it outside of our front doors. Or actually, social media brings it to our front doors. <laughs> but as a follower of Christ, We win the battle. Come on. Yeah, we win the battle. So Harvest, as we go, be reminded of this. And if you're watching online, you too, you be reminded of this, that we're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from the victory because our Lord has already won. He fights our battles. So as we sing this next song, let's reflect on that. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.